Today on Ag News Daily. We normally uh, have about, uh, about 120 farms or uh, grow Christmas trees here in Texas that I know of, uh, either through membership or past membership. They grow from, some of them have just an acre. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and Merry Christmas. A day, a couple days early here from the Ag News Daily team. Delaney Howell joined by Ashton Carr. And Ashton, of course, we are sponsored today by DPH Biologicals. To unharness your soil's fertility and maximize yield, visit dphbio.com. They're also sponsoring us today, Ashton, when I share some fun Christmas facts to kick us off for today's final episode of 2021. Are you ready? I'm prepared, yes. Okay, well... Actually, let me ask you the fun tr- Christmas question first, and then I'll share with you some fun Christmas facts, which are very timely for today's interview, because we're talking about Christmas tree production. Ashton, what is your favorite Christmas book? Hmm, you know, I don't know. That's a pretty good question. I'm going to have to like go back to the days of being a kid to think about this one. While you're thinking, I can share a couple of my favorites and maybe that will help jog your memory because I really have two, one of which is also a movie, The Polar Express. And the second one is Twas the Night Before Christmas. Those were probably my two favorite Christmas books growing up. Okay, yes, I'm a big Twas the Night Before Christmas person. I don't know why or how that slipped my mind, but I also enjoy A Christmas Carol. Ooh, yes. I think that those are probably the two up there on my list. Okay, those are both good choices. Good choices. We'll let you have them, even though you had to think about it for a second. (laughs) Well, Delaney, I'm ready for these Christmas facts. What do you got for us today? Okay. Well, you know, we're talking about Christmas tree production with Stan Reed from the Texas Christmas Tree Growers Association, which when you think about Christmas tree production, you don't really think about Texas being a leader in that, but they certainly do contribute to the United States total Christmas tree population. Although as you'll learn here in a little bit, not necessarily setting those outside of the borders of Texas, but About 98% of all Christmas trees grown worldwide are actually grown here in the United States, Ashton. And in 2012, 46 million Christmas tree seedlings were planted. And it takes a couple of years for them to get to full production. So those 46 million trees are probably about in circulating this year, maybe the past couple of years. So that's certainly interesting to think about. Um, Here's an interesting one, too, for farmers. Because we're always watching rain and seeing when we're going to get some timely rain. Well, it takes six to 10 years of heavy rain, wind, hail, and drought to get a mature tree. So they actually like all of those different climates to get mature, to get mature trees. So those are just a few of my little fun Christmas tree facts today. Well, Delaney, something that kind of surprised me that I was reading about earlier today was that some of the Midwest, or most of the Midwest, I should say, is not going to be seeing a white Christmas this year. I assume that you've had plenty of white Christmases in your time, Delaney, but unfortunately, I think I've only had one white Christmas, but it surprised me that there hasn't been a whole lot of snow really this year, apart from some early snows in the Dakotas, Minnesota, and the upper Great Lakes region. But other than that, pretty much winter reception has been almost non-existent, it seems. 
Yeah, no, I completely agree. Blaine and I were talking about it last night and it feels weird that it is Christmas time, partly because it hasn't really snowed and is not currently snowing. So yeah, I'm definitely going to miss that this year. Well, Delaney, I also want to talk a little bit here about weather down where I'm from because it's critical fire weather right now. And this forecast is going to be through December 26 for portions of North and West Texas. So really that panhandle region with December 24th, unfortunately, holding the most potential for wildfire activity. It's just really dry right now. We haven't seen a whole lot of rain. So this is a story I think that People from, you know, the Great Plains region and the Panhandle are pretty much accustomed to, I don't want to say accustomed to because, you know, it is a pretty unfortunate circumstance, but something that isn't really new to them. So hopefully they're taking all of the right precautions, but I would hate to see any wildfires spark up on Christmas Eve. Yeah, those those people are still, like you mentioned, they're dealing with a lot of those different conditions now post derecho storm which i hate to even use that term but you know the windstorms that swept through a lot of the midwest were classified as a derecho we had tornado that swept through kentucky the wildfires here at the end of the year so a lot of inclement weather going on in the united states but also some in south america because as we continue to watch markets today ashton they certainly had a really exciting week this week when usually the trade is pretty thin, but a lot of that has been because of South American weather. And we're still continuing to watch hot and dry stressed conditions in Brazil. They have really been dry over the past month or so. Um, Fortunately, Brazil's largest soybean producing producing straight Mato Grosso has had wetter weather than usual so far, but other states in Brazil are extremely dry and are continuing to have that outlook moving forward. And really, you know, from the commentary that I've been reading today, Ashton, because of course I've been covering markets for successful farming this week, um, a lot of analysts are turning their attention to South America over the weekend and into next week, because while we had pretty hot and dry conditions leading up to today, which really helped markets spark some excitement, this weekend could be a pivotal moment for South American production. So certainly going to be watching that this weekend, even with the holidays. And it's going to be interesting to see how markets open up on Sunday night into Monday. And of course, we're not having the podcast next week. So by the time we have this podcast in 2022, it'll be old news. But next week's going to be a really important time when the markets are going to be deciding whether or not this Brazilian slash Argentinian weather story is traded through the markets or is there more to trade yet? So really important moment here for commodity markets, Ashton. Well, Delaney, other than the two pieces of weather-related news that I had to talk about today, I have a piece of feel-good news to leave the audience with. But before I get started with that, I wanted to remind our audience that we are sponsored today by DPH Bio. If you're looking for an alternative to starter fertilizer, DPH Biologicals offers a competitive alternative for broad acre crops without sacrificing yield. Be sure to check out our interview with DPH Biologicals to learn more about their complete biofertility platform, TerraTrove. To unharness soil fertility and maximize yield, visit dphbio.com to learn more. 
With that, I'm going to share my final piece of news, not only for today, but for the year. And like I said, it's a piece of feel-good news here, and it's another one that is dealing with those who were impacted by the storms that we have continuously been talking about as members of the U.S. Cattlemen's Association are helping provide a Christmas Eve dinner for residents and first responders over in Western Kentucky. Patrick Robinette, a North Carolina cattle producer and owner of Myro Summit Processors, says that more than 800 pounds of U.S. beef is headed to feed communities affected by these recent tornadoes. So I thought that that was, of course, a warming piece of news here because we are still seeing those families that are hurt. And going into the Christmas season, I think it hurts especially a little bit more. So I'm glad that we have folks like him who are working to help them just with what they have, um, you know, him being a processor and using, you know, what he has available. I just thought it was pretty interesting and it warmed my heart a little bit this season. Yeah, another one that's really neat that the National Pork Board sponsors this time of year around the holiday season is, I love the name of it. I think it's super catchy, but it's called Give a Ham. And basically, you know, it's, I don't know if you've seen it on social media, Ashton, but I've seen it quite a lot the last couple of days here of folks nominating other folks to give a ham, which you can, you can visualize what that is copying what phrase that is copying um we're not going to say it on the podcast this this is a family rated podcast show, folks but it's essentially to encourage folks to donate hams to you know families in need local food banks shelters etc and so i think it's really cool when we see agriculture especially come together during the holiday season to help out those in need well, Delaney, is there anything else that you want to chat about here before entering into the markets and entering into Christmas? Well, Ashton, I just wanted to, as we dive into chatting markets today, give a little bit of extra color here heading into the holiday season. As I mentioned, you know, South America is an important factor we're going to be continuing to watch, but we also watched export sales numbers today that came out this morning for the week ending December 16th. And corn sales were down 50% from the previous week, however, in line with analyst expectations. However, soybeans hit a marketing year low for the week, dropping 38% week over week. And a marketing year low is the big story there. So not in line, obviously, with analyst expectations. Um, but I should say not in line with the average of analyst expectations, but was in the overall range. However, analyst expectations were anywhere from 700,000 to 1.7 million metric tons. We came in at about 811,000 metric tons. So on the low end of things there. Um, but you know, certainly we saw markets trade that news really initially at the open this morning, but we're able to power through it quite nicely here to put on some nice gains to finish the holiday shortened week. So March corn added three and a quarter cent today to close at 605 and three quarters. The May up six, excuse me, the May up three and a quarter cents to close at 607 and a quarter. The January contract up three and a quarter cent today to close at 1332. The March up five and three quarters cents, ending the week at 1340 and three quarters. Chicago wheat up on the day as well, just barely settling three quarters of a cent higher to end at 814 and three quarters. The May up three quarters of a cent at well to close at 818 and a half. 
Hopping over to take a look at the livestock markets today, they certainly saw some mixed trade today. Didn't quite follow suit with the grain markets as the cattle complex finished higher, lean hogs finishing lower. February live cattle added $2.25 to close at a buck 39.62. April live cattle up a buck 80, closing at 143.92. And in the feeder cattle markets, the January contract adding $1.67 and a half, closing at a buck 63 per pound. The March up $1.82 and a half, closing at 163.75. Lean hogs, as I mentioned here, showed weakness this Thursday afternoon as the February contract shed 12 and a half cents, closing at 83.22 and a half. The April down a nickel to close at 86.60. And lastly, the class three dairy milk futures today showed a little weakness as well, closing 18 cents lower in the January contract to close at 19.36. The February down 31 cents, closing at 19.84. Ashton, without further ado, let's kick it over to today's Christmas themed episode talking about Christmas tree production in Texas. Well, today we are talking all things Christmas trees here with Stan Reed, who is the executive secretary for the Texas Christmas Tree Growers Association. Stan, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. So, Stan, before we get started talking here just about, you know, how to grow Christmas trees and and those kinds of things, let's learn a little bit more about you and how you really got into the Christmas tree gig. Basically, my boss took over the association in 2014 and he managed association groups and the Christmas Tree Growers Association was looking for a management company that could manage them better than they uh the current company that was managing him, which was one of the members. And when he retired in 2018, I then took over the association as a management company, and I've been managing them since then. So, Stan, when you think about Christmas tree production, I've got to be honest, Texas is not one of the first states that comes to mind to me when thinking about where a lot of Christmas trees are grown in the United States. Tell us a little bit more about Texas and their representation of the Christmas tree population. Well, it's kind of odd because when I first uh, started working with the association, uh, I wouldn't have thought that uh, Christmas trees were uh, grown in Texas. I, I didn't know that uh, where they were grown, I figured it was up north or out east or out west, but uh, you wouldn't figure Texas as being a Christmas tree growing state. It turns out that uh, they've been growing Christmas trees here for about 45 years. So, Stan, I want to know a little bit more about the trees specifically, because from my understanding, there are maybe a few different breeds of tree or species. I don't know what to say about that, but uh, a few different ones that we think of when we think of like the classic Christmas tree. Is that correct? Yes. The big one that... uh, can't be grown in Texas is the Fraser firs because uh, they uh, just get handled that uh, Texas has in the summer. I mean, we have a uh, one of our uh, exhibitors. Normally, he'll bring a uh, pre-cut Fraser fir to the conference and leave it outside in August when the heat hits, and uh, it'll basically just uh, start smoking and uh, burn up within uh, 30, 40 minutes of being out in the heat. 
But uh, we do have about four or five variety of trees that are Christmas trees that are grown here in the state of Texas. Uh, Virginia pine, for instance, uh, we sell seedlings from our association that we get from our orchard in Orange, Texas. And uh, they grow pretty much all over the state. Uh, Leland cypress is another Christmas tree that is grown here in Texas, and it's very popular, along with the Afghan pines. And uh, one that has started taking off of late has been the uh, Arizona blue uh, cypress tree that uh, is grown in Texas. So as you think about the geography of where Christmas trees are grown, is there one area of the state that predominantly house most of these Christmas trees in production? Uh, No, we have farms throughout the state and the farms are all choose and cut. They do import trees from the east and uh, the north, uh, Fraser firs, pre-cut trees, but All the tree farms that we have in Texas grow a wide variety of uh, the four or five different types of trees that we have that grow. And it uh, really is based off of uh, pH levels of the soil. That kind of determines who can grow what where. And then it's like anything else, any type of crop. You always have to worry about the whether or not it's getting enough water or getting too much sun and uh, other contaminants, uh, insects, and so so forth. So, Stan, obviously we're heading into the Christmas weekend here. How many trees from Texas do you think are elsewhere, either in the U.S. or in the world? Is there a large portion of Texas trees that are grown that are sent to other states and even exported? Not really. Most of our trees that are grown here uh, remain here in Texas. Uh, We don't have a wholesale tree business. I know that uh, we have a couple of people planning on starting them because there's such a high demand for Christmas trees and shipping costs uh, from Texas to any place else is pretty expensive or from any place else to Texas is pretty expensive. And a lack of, uh, we do have a lack of wholesalers here in Texas. So most everybody that uh, Christmas tree lots and so forth, they have to go out of state to get their trees. Well, Stan, I'm going to put a pause on our conversation here just to remind everyone that we are sponsored today by DPH Biologicals. So folks, if you are looking for an alternative to starter fertilizer, DPH Biologicals offers a competitive alternative for broad acre crops without sacrificing yield. Be sure to check out our interview with DPH Biologicals to learn more about their complete biofertility platform, TerraTrove. To unharness soil fertility and maximize yield, visit dphbio.com to learn more. And I'm going to continue to learn more here, Stan, as we continue to talk about Christmas tree production. I understand, you know, growing these Christmas trees take quite some time. So what does that process look like from actually putting seed in the ground to cutting these Christmas trees down to put in people's homes? Well, uh, the Virginia pine tree seedlings that uh, we sell, they're usually pulled around the first week in January, and then we have pickup, and then farms will come pick up their seedlings and then plant them, and they're about a foot tall then, and within four years, they'll be five to six feet tall. Right, so the Christmas tree process is really 
a long, long production cycle compared to row crops, which are harvested obviously every year. So certainly a different ball game when you look at Christmas tree production, but I'm curious, you might've mentioned this, so I apologize if I missed it, but how many Christmas tree growers are in the state of Texas and do Christmas does Christmas tree production serve as those farms' primary source of income, or is that usually like a side gig to diversify the operation? Well, we normally uh, have about uh, about 120 farms that uh, grow Christmas trees here in Texas that I know of, uh, either through membership or past membership, and they grow from. Some of them have just an acre of land, or some of them are. 40 or 50 acres. It, uh, it ranges from the small mom and pop all the way up to uh, the larger farms. And a lot of these farms uh, are just normally just seasonal for uh, Christmas trees or pumpkin uh, patches. A lot of them are turning to also providing year-round entertainment, either via uh Field trips for school kids, uh, Easter egg hunts, um, music and stuff in the summer. Uh, then uh, in the fall, you always have pumpkin patches, hay rides, and then uh, get ready for the Christmas tree season. And they then move into once the Christmas trees and hits, it's, it's pretty much uh, a madhouse until uh, Christmas. Well, Stan, we certainly appreciate you coming on and chatting about Christmas tree production with us. But one thing that we've been doing this week is asking each other and our guests some of our favorite Christmas things. So, Stan, we want to know what your favorite Christmas dessert is. That is a good question. Um, My grandmother, uh, who just uh, she passed away earlier this year at 99, she would make every year her famous banana pudding and normally we'd get it at Thanksgiving and Christmas and uh, that is one of my one of my most favorite things to get at Christmas was uh, some banana pudding from my group. Well, Stan, hopefully that tradition can be carried on over into this year's Christmas, but we certainly appreciate you coming on and Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays to you. Merry Christmas to both of you and uh, happy holidays and happy new year and uh, have a great day. Thanks again there to Stan for coming on and chatting about Christmas trees. Like we talked about, I was pleasantly surprised about hearing about the growth of Christmas trees in Texas because I honestly didn't think that we had much of a production system. No, I was surprised to learn the same, Ashton. So it's always interesting what we find. You never know. You certainly don't, Delaney. But folks, of course, that was our last interview of 2021. So be sure to tune back in in January to hear more from the Ag News Daily podcast. You can do so by checking out agnewsdaily.com. In the meantime, be sure to follow us on social media on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Ag News Daily. With that, Delaney, should we let the people go? Merry Christmas, everyone. Let's let them go.